Welcome to episode two of the Embodiment Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Violetta, and I am so excited for today's episode. This is one that I wanted to start with mainly because it's going to set up the entire framework of this podcast going forward. It's going to really allow you to break down this stigma around spirituality and what that means for you. And it's really just going to allow you to just fully have permission to explore whatever your soul is calling for. So with that said, today we're going to be talking about the witch archetype. This word has such a negative stigma around it. And when I said the word, some of you may have even cringed when you heard it. We're going to be diving deep into where this word got such a negative stigma, basically around the history of this word witch, where it originally comes from, the witch trials, we'll be going deep into that, and ultimately how this witch wound is such a collective wound within all of us and how it's showing up in our lives today in so many different ways. So by the end of this podcast, we're going to be diving deep into how to embody this archetype and just fully embrace the wise one within. So like I was saying, I really wanted this to be one of the first episodes of this podcast because this wound is what really prevents so many people from exploring their spirituality. They are so held back by the idea of possibly being a witch or are crystals witchcraft or, you know, tarot cards witchcraft, like whatever you want to explore, whatever your introductory is into this world of self-discovery and spirituality, like whatever that means to you, the witch wound is at the core of that. It'll hold you back from exploring so many different ideas and it's going to look different for every single person, but you need to break through that wall, that barrier, because on the other side is an entire world to explore that will be incredibly difficult to explore if you're still being dragged down by this collective shadow wound. You might be, you know, spiritually in the closet. You might not feel comfortable sharing different beliefs or things that you're passionate about with other people because of this wound. And I'm super excited. This is a topic that once I really learned about it, my entire life changed. It just gave me this new perspective of what it means to be authentically myself and to just not give a damn about what people think of me. And I think that this will really help you guys too. So before we dive into this episode, I did want to announce that we have a Facebook group called the Embodiment Community. It'll be linked down in the show notes, but this is basically your home where you can ask questions, give recommendations, share your downloads, your dreams, your inspirations. It's a place where you can always be supported along your path. So I would love to have you join and hang out with us in there. That's also a really great way to just talk with me. I'm in there all the time responding to every single post. So I would love to get to know you and who all is listening. And I also wanted to announce that I have launched a free morning bliss protocol, which includes a daily morning meditation and a digital journal for you to use every single morning. These are basically what I use every morning. I just took my morning routine and my morning journal prompts and I created them for you guys so that you can 
use the same tools that I use, the same ones that really just uplift me every single morning and put me on the best optimal timeline for the day. So I really think you guys are going to love it. The meditation, like I said, it's designed to help you align with your highest timeline and assist you in developing your psychic intuition. And you'll be guided to take certain actions throughout the day from this meditation. So I promise that if you use these every single morning, first thing in the morning, you will see radical shifts in your life. And this can be found on my website, CourtneyVioletta.com or CourtneyVioletta.com forward slash morning bliss protocol. It'll also be linked in the show notes. So if you were to think of the word witch right now, what comes to mind? Maybe you think of like an ugly old woman with a black witch hat and a wart on her nose flying on a broomstick with a maniacal laugh. That's pretty much the same image you're going to get when you also Google the word witch as well. The definition according to Google is a woman thought to have magical powers, especially evil ones, popularly depicted as wearing a black cloak and a pointed hat and flying on a broomstick. The second definition is an ugly or mean old woman. First of all, we can already see where this is going when both definitions are specifically mentioning women. Let's get this straight. Witch hunting was women hunting. So the word witch comes from the old Germanic word witche, which means wise one. And the words wisdom, wizard, wicca, of course, witch, it all comes from the same root word, which is witche. So witchcraft means to craft your wisdom, to pursue wisdom, living your life in connection with your wisdom, learning lessons, embodying them, teaching them to others. It's a lifelong practice dedicated to gaining wisdom, gaining spiritual knowledge, and attaining that and embodying that. To me, the word witch and the word Buddha essentially mean the same thing. Buddha means enlightened one, a knower. Witch in the old Germanic root also means a knower. So one has such a negative connotation and the other doesn't at all. Why is that? So of course, when we think of witch, we think of the Salem witch trials, right? But witch hunts have actually been going on for thousands of years prior to this. And in some parts of Africa, it's actually still continuing on today. But we're going to be talking about the ancient annihilation of ancient paganism in this podcast. So buckle in because this is something we don't learn about at all. And when I learned about this, it just opened my mind up to so much understanding of where this wound really comes from. So let's dive into it. In ancient times, religion as it was then was essentially indistinguishable from what we now think of as ancient mythology. The cultures were polytheistic, which meant they were believing in many different gods and goddesses, all of whom had specific influences on the world. For example, there were gods for weather and crops and fertility and love and war and water. And there was a god or goddess for pretty much everything. And monotheism didn't entirely make sense to these people because they didn't understand how just one god could possibly have all the answers for every single situation because if they were dealing with something like you know, bad crops, they would go to one God for that and they would pray and worship 
them. And then if they were dealing with heartbreak, they would go to another god or goddess. Like they they wouldn't go to the god of crops for heartbreak. So it didn't really make sense that there was one god that could just take care of everything. It just didn't fit their narrative. So all of ancient Europe and most of the ancient world was practicing some form of paganism at this time, except for those within Judaism. That was the only religious group that was monotheistic at the time. So these ancient religions were commonly just referred to as pagans. They were polytheistic, of course, believing in many different gods and goddesses, but especially the Anglo-Saxons, they were definitely referred to as the pagans. But the point is that the entire world was rooted in this belief system and the oldest belief systems in the world were polytheistic and pagan and this is why so many of us are drawn to it in certain ways now it's like this ancient code in our dna is waking up and it's just waiting to be activated like we're drawn to certain things we're called to certain things and it might not necessarily make sense to us now because we have you know, our guidelines of what we should believe and what is normal in our culture today. But it just doesn't fit. It doesn't feel right. And it's because this part of our DNA is waking up. It wants to experience the ancient world, the ancient belief systems that are so just encoded within us. And when I say your DNA is waking up, I mean your DNA is waking up. Over 90% of your DNA appears to geneticists to serve no purpose. It's been labeled as junk DNA, but the truth about this role is that it holds the entire collective memory patterns of your ancestors, whether it's from your mom or your dad or your grandmother or your ancient ancestors, your Neanderthal ancestors, all the way back to your plant ancestors and bacteria ancestors and also your past lives. And this witch wound lives heavily within our DNA. And there is a huge collective shift happening right now. And it's time to stop being someone who sits on the sidelines and just watches it happen. If you are listening to this, if you are called to this podcast, if you watch my videos, if you are interested in spiritual topics, you are being called to become an active participant in this now. By listening to this episode, I hope that this transmission reaches your DNA and finally you have that aha moment to reclaim your past, the trauma of your lineage, because this reaches all of us, not just one group of people. This is thousands and thousands of years. And once you bring awareness to this, you can embody the wise one within you. So let's backtrack a couple thousand years to figure out where this witch wound started. So during the Roman Empire in the age of Theodosius, which was between 379 to 395 AD, just for reference, this was when paganism was heavily suppressed. As Christianity was starting to spread throughout the Roman Empire, there were emperors who were suppressing paganism, trying to totally convert to Christianity. But then the next emperor would come and they would reinstate paganism. And then it just started to go back and forth a bit until the age of Theodosius. 
when it was entirely and completely wiped out. Ancient paganism was the only major religion to have ever deliberately been completely wiped out. There are barely any records at all about this time in history because everything was destroyed. And to me, this is incredibly sad. Like I said, most of the ancient world at this time was practicing some form of paganism. It had deep roots and had been built up over thousands and thousands of years. It was probably so rich in stories and gods and goddesses and traditions and customs and all of these records were destroyed. We even know the Library of Alexandria in Egypt, the largest, most significant library in the ancient world, which was dedicated to the nine goddesses of the arts, was destroyed by the Roman Empire. So because all of these records were destroyed and some pagans, you know, didn't convert, they kept their beliefs relatively private and just continued passing it on through word of mouth for the next few centuries. So again, to me, it's just so incredibly sad that this ancient belief system was eradicated and these people were not converted by choice. They were forced to convert. In fact, St. Patrick, as you know, we celebrate St. Patrick's Day and it's a fun party day full of celebrations. But the story of St. Patrick, I mean, I'm going to be honest, the records of this have been pretty much destroyed. So there's a lot of you know, theories about who he actually was and what he actually did because all we really have is his journal as a record. His story is that he became the patron saint of the Emerald Isle because he drove out all of the snakes from Ireland. And the snakes in this case refer to the pagans and the druids. So even if that's not true, the story lives on that he drove out the pagans and the druids and is celebrated for it which is sad this is some like these are people's cultures this is like their entire lineage that's being destroyed so it just breaks my heart but let's dive a little bit deeper into what pagans during this time the ancient times believed because this is crucial to the conversation of this religion and where this wound really comes from there's so much misconception over the word pagan and people think that it's evil and worshiping the devil and all of these stigmas and it's just so the complete opposite. So again, pagans believed in many gods and goddesses and they believed that the earth was a goddess itself. There were gods for everything and these gods were very involved with humans on every level. Pagans believed that if they were happy and pleased, that their lives would flourish, their crops would grow, and their livestock would reproduce, and they would just be protected against all of the human elements of, you know, storms and famine and disease. But it's important to know that pagans were not afraid of death like so many people are today. There was no concept of heaven or hell. They understood death as a natural part of life and they were so in touch with energy and the rhythm of the earth that they understood death was a transition and not an end, not something to be sad for. 
they did not mourn the loss. I mean, of course, like we do now, it's like sad somebody's gone, but they it wasn't like they were gone. They were still with them. And they believed this so deeply. And at this time, no other religion believed in eternal damnation or eternal reward like heaven and hell. The idea of pagans or witches worshiping the devil only came as a label from Christianity because the devil was not a part of their belief system. It it, they didn't believe in heaven or like it just it wasn't a part of their understanding of the world so this concept wasn't even in their minds so unlike pagans christians claim that there was only one god and that anybody who didn't believe in him and worship him would then go to hell would live in eternal damnation when they died now we know that in the bible there's actually no reference to hell. So this idea of hell and eternal suffering most likely came about as a tactic to influence people to convert to Christianity. And it was basically just scaring these ancient religions into converting. I mean, who would really want to suffer for all of eternity? Like, I'm sure that is one way to scare people to stay in line. You know, like, I don't want to suffer for the rest of forever, a time period in which my brain cannot even comprehend. Yes, I will convert because that is a scary thought. Once converted, everyone had to abandon all of their previous beliefs and traditions. And pagans, again, they didn't really understand this because they had so many different gods and goddesses that when they stopped praying to one or worshiping one, there were hundreds of other ones to turn to. They wouldn't give up their beliefs or connections with all of the other gods just because they were working with another one. So it didn't entirely make sense to them. The church definitely noticed this hesitancy and decided to pivot a little bit on its strategy. The church ended up tangling pagan traditions with Christian holidays, and this is why we see Easter and Christmas. They are entirely filled with pagan traditions and rituals. So many different Christian holidays are intertwined, and the dates perfectly line up with the dates of the pagan celebration so it's just something that's very interesting to note like once you're aware of how this conversion really happened you're able to see how there's just so much paganism and witchcraft intertwined with christianity and yet christianity is so against the word witch they are the ones who perpetuated the hatred of the witch so let alone there's so much witchcraft within Christianity. It's very ironic to me. So this wisdom of the ancient world and the understanding of the human connection to nature, it had completely and slowly died out over thousands of years as what was left of it and its traditions had completely merged with Christianity. And so as time went on, Christians had seen these few and far between pagans as witches. And if they hadn't converted, they obviously weren't going to heaven, which therefore meant that they must be worshiping the devil. So this is where the stigma of this word really came to be. So in the 1400s, the European witch hunts began and really gained momentum in the 16th century, continuing on for a couple hundred years. No one seems to have the correct number of how many quote-unquote witches were executed during this time. It's all over the place. Some say 500,000, 
some people in Salem, like historians will say 9 million, mostly women. So it's like there's such a discrepancy in the amount of people. But either way, during this time that this was going on, that was a huge portion of the population that was just wiped out, just plain murdered for, for what? During the Black Plague, which went from 1346 to 1352, only about six years, 25 million people had died. But I've also seen estimates between 75 million and 200 million. So again, the numbers are all over the place. But regardless, there was obviously such incredible devastation. And in times like that, where things are just so unexplainably terrible and bad, it's natural to look for reasons why it's happening, right? We can even see that in our daily lives. Like, if you're just having a terrible, unlucky day, you must think, you know, why does God hate me? Why this somebody must have a curse on me? Or, you know, like, <laughs> it's like we naturally look for something outside of ourselves for why this is happening. Because, right, there's no physical explanation of why God would kill millions and millions of people. So they blamed the religious minorities at the time. It had to be punishment from God for not believing in him. So Jewish people and alleged witches were blamed, tortured, and burned to death for supposedly causing the Black Plague. In 1484, Pope Innocent VIII, which is quite an ironic name if you ask me, and his two other clergymen published an influential book called Malleus Maleficarum, or The Hammer of Witches. And this, this, oh my god, this was a legal document that was essentially a how-to guide, a tutorial for how to hunt, torture, and execute a witch. It states that all wickedness is but little to the wickedness of a woman. What else is a woman but a foe to friendship, an inescapable punishment, a necessary evil, a natural temptation, a desirable calamity, a domestic danger, a delectable detriment, an evil nature painted with fair colors. Women are by nature instruments of Satan. And when I referred to in the very beginning as witch hunts being women hunts, this is what I mean. This basically means women who were just living their lives as they wanted to, whether they were practicing old religions or new ones, were herbalists, midwives, weren't married, or just didn't adhere to societal norms, they were a witch. And many scholars argue that it was women who seemed most independent from the patriarchal norms. So a lot of these women who were killed for witchcraft were over 50, women who had never given birth, they were never married, were a little bit more introverted. Anything outside of what had been seen as normal was very suspicious. The start of the witch hunts in the Holy Roman Empire began around 1609, and the war between Roman Catholics and the Protestants left so many people killed. Territories were demolished, bad weather was going on, leaving famine and crop failure and an outbreak of the plague once again. So, you know, why is God killing all these people? Why do we have such bad luck? Why do we have famine? And why aren't crops growing? And now... 
witches were fully being blamed for this. The Germanic people blamed witches and the devil for the pain and suffering of this time period. So if you were believed to be a witch, how would they prove it? What was the procedure for proving that you were a witch? Well, the standard procedure for identifying a witch was to have a woman undress before a court, be blindfolded, and a witch hunter would examine her body for any sort of mark, mole, deformity, on anywhere on their body, also their genitals, like if you had had a pretty intense childbirth and things didn't look like they used to, that meant you were a witch. Anything that looked the tiniest bit off to a man. <laughs> they would then stab the spot on their body and if the woman didn't scream, it meant she wasn't a witch. So being in a torture-esque chamber in front of a bunch of people blindfolded and naked, it wouldn't be entirely unusual not to scream. You're trying to stay calm and control yourself, probably thinking that if you don't react, you're going to have a better situation. So most often the women were identified as a witch because they didn't scream. Once they were found to be a witch, the next step, according to Malleus Maleficarum, the Hammer of Witches, was to obtain the names of her accomplices because every witch was believed to have an evil coven. And the only way to receive this information was by torture, like mutilation and burning of the sexual areas. So even the strongest woman could not help but eventually blurt out a random name of some innocent person they know they know of who was then arrested and the cycle continued. So at this point, I'm wondering if you are able to now see how this witch wound could be showing up in modern day. And if not, you will soon. So like I mentioned, the primary focus was on women and the typical marriage age at this time was rising. 15 year olds, believe it or not, <laughs> didn't want to get married. So some women weren't marrying at all. This left that more than half of the women between the ages of 15, I still can't believe that, but 15 and 44 were unmarried. And this was something that was totally unusual for the time. And now women were increasingly finding work in growing urban labor markets. And now also birth control had been on the rise. So midwives were a particular target for witch hunts. And these men were horrified that these women were becoming more independent. They were getting jobs. They didn't want to get married. And it must have been the work of the devil. So skipping ahead a little bit, during the mid-1600s, the first pagan tradition to be restored was that of the Druids in Britain. And by the 19th century, a new outlook was on the rise as people searched for the fundamental principles of religion by looking at faiths from different time periods. Across Europe, people were rediscovering their indigenous cultures. In Northern Europe, there was a growing interest in Saxon and Norse traditions. And I think this is because I believe that this information is truly stored within our DNA. Again, our DNA holds the memories of all of our ancient ancestors and our past lives. And 
it's just waiting to be unlocked. And we have this desire to learn about these indigenous cultures and different ancient belief systems because it has been the primary religion for most of the time spent on this earth. We think of 2,000 years as a lot, but in reality, it's really not. For thousands of years before that, people were practicing these religions, so it's stored within us. And again, this quote-unquote new age spirituality is not new at all. Most of it originates from ancient beliefs and practices that are calling us back home. And so many of us are so drawn to it because it feels like a sense of home. It just fits like a puzzle piece because it lives within that 90% of space in our DNA. So how do we see this witch wound showing up in today's society? And by the way, it can also be called a persecution wound because obviously this is not a unique trauma to paganism. There is so much wounding in religion and being afraid to practice what you believe for the fear of being persecuted or judged or ridiculed or humiliated. These events have caused such a collective trauma for us. And as the patriarchy has risen, we have seen how threatened they are of anyone who has any greater power than them in any way. They want people to stay in line and do what they're told. And anyone who strays out of line is seen as a threat and they will do anything to take them out. We see the sister wound show up very strongly in our society too, which we can talk about in another episode and dive a little bit deeper, but during these persecutions, the women were tortured and they were mutilated until they gave up another woman's name. So you just couldn't trust anyone. It wasn't safe to have a friend, a neighbor, an aunt, a mom, a sister, because you didn't know if they knew what you were doing behind closed doors would they rat you out? Or if they didn't even know, would they just say your name? Would they blurt out your name because you came to mind? It wasn't safe to know people. It wasn't safe for them to know you intimately. We see this a lot in today's world of women hating other women, women gossiping about other women, not trusting other women. Like that man's going to steal my man. Like this is not a wound we have always had. It's natural for women to be communal and gather together and share and love. And this divide really happened during this time. And in our current world, most people are naturally afraid to be different, to stand out just a little too much, to share what makes them unique, to share our beliefs or our opinions of any kind. And it's because of this witch wound. Because it wasn't safe to ever share what you believed if it wasn't what the dominant patriarchal society saw as standing in line. And this left massive imprints on our collective psyche that have greatly wounded our wisdom. That wound, like I said again and again, and I'm going to keep saying it, it's prominent in our DNA. And we are all subconsciously afraid of what has happened before, time and time again. Even me, when I would post videos on YouTube. I mentioned this in the last episode of when I was getting started to really just create spiritual content on my channel. I was so afraid of the ridicule that I was going to get. Was I going to get canceled because that's modern day witch hunting? Was I going to be judged? Were people going to call me stupid? Or I was so afraid to be seen for who I am. 
what I like to do, what I aspired to be. I was so afraid of what people were going to think. And that's the witch wound showing up. Does that happen to you? Are you in the closet, so to speak, of you know, not wanting to share the certain things you're interested in or the things you're learning because maybe your family members are, you know, very judgmental or very strict in their ways of whatever they believe and you don't think they'll accept you. I understand and so many people understand that. It's time to not be a bystander anymore. This witch wound keeps so many people from exploring their spirituality and being honest about what they care about, and what's important to them. We all want to follow our own path. And if we feel held back or that we aren't allowed to fully be ourselves or express ourselves, not even just relating to your beliefs or having to be secretive about anything, it makes you feel stifled, like nobody really knows you, like we aren't really free. And like we have to just walk on eggshells just to be who we truly are. Life is too short to live an inauthentic experience. That's one thing I know for certain. Be who you are meant to be because when you are shining your light to the world, it reaches people. It's like medicine to their souls. And I say this so many times, but it's like you aren't responsible for how they take this medicine. So if you're you know, exploring your spirituality and somebody is incredibly triggered and offended by that, that you know, that's not up to you. That's their way of receiving the medicine. You keep shining your light. You keep working on yourself and leading by example of how far you go when you really just release all dogmas and just experience the world and experience your curiosities and see where that leads you because your light is going to shine brighter than ever before and it's going to touch all the people you come in contact with like medicine, which it does not mean evil. That is a story that has come about from the spread of Christianity and pop culture. And I am not hating on Christianity at all. This is just the facts of how this word came to be and un the unfortunate circumstances of how that religion was spread across all of Europe and the whole world. And I respect everyone who has their own belief system. I know how sacred your beliefs are to every single person. Um, but I feel that it's very important to share this because the word witch has just such a negative connotation and stigma around it. And it's not right. And I feel a calling to really just help people see the true meaning behind this and so that they can fully awaken the wise one within them. By living in harmony with nature... By being a compassionate human being to others and animals and plants and to the land you live on and respecting nature as a living, breathing entity rather than being a human filled with greed and fear and power and rather by pursuing wisdom in all aspects of your life and embodying your highest self, there's nothing evil about that. Hollywood is a huge proponent of the fear around not only witches and witchcraft, but also going within and healing yourself and your shadows. When we go within and work through our darkness and we heal ourselves, we are facing our internal demons. And I mentioned this again in the last episode, if you haven't listened to it, but when I was really dealing with some mental struggles, I called upon this mental illness that I was dealing with within my head and I wanted to see it as 
something. I didn't want to just have it be this illness within my head. I wanted to put a physical image to it. And what I saw was essentially a demon. And as I progressed through my own spiritual beliefs, I've come to the conclusion that our negative emotions and shadows that we hold within us live in a lower density within our minds. And if we continually keep feeding them with hatred and rage and anger and become all consumed with whatever story is being told, that can manifest into our physical reality because you're giving it so much of your energy to that shadow. It's like you become it and it becomes you. But for the most part, they live in our minds. And in order to heal, we need to acknowledge and face them and then use our wisdom, our higher minds, to alchemize it. So you ask it, what do you need in order to be released? This is the core of shadow work. You're going within and you're facing your inner demons. And this is how you break old repeating cycles. And it's necessary to do this in order to release the past and move on to higher states of consciousness and higher frequencies. It's not scary. Hollywood has made it scary. It's made it so that no one wants to ever encounter their inner shadows, keeping us suppressed and fearful and angry, easy to control. All of these terrifying movies that we see, that's them perpetuating the idea that you need to be afraid of the unknown, of the darkness, of the shadow. But without the dark, there is no light. There's a balance to everything. Remember, the word witch means wise person. So embody that. There should not be any fear around this word. The fear was placed upon it by the people who were holding fear in their hearts and were seeking answers for things that were going wrong in their lives instead of looking inward. They looked externally for someone else to blame. So how are you going to go about honoring your inner wisdom? This wound is so pervasive that even today, for most people, just saying the word witch is so difficult. You might feel like you have to whisper it. This wound shows up in so many ways, including fear of being judged or in our modern culture, like I said, cancel culture is very much a modern day witch hunt. Fear of violence being used against you mistrust of others putting up walls so that you are isolated from others like so people really don't get to know you being disconnected from your intuitive and psychic abilities the fear of speaking out or the fear of being seen even public speaking in general the fear of oppression for your personal beliefs or wanting nothing to do with healing modalities that your ancestors used and being disconnected from your own cultural lineage these are all signs of the witch wound really showing up in your life. And I'm not somebody who really likes to use labels for my spirituality. I just like to have no rules and just explore whatever I'm feeling called to because there are going to be nuggets that I find so, so beautiful and so touching and so resonant within every element that I'm exploring. And so I'm not telling you to go around and call yourself a witch in public and, you know, wear a pointy hat and do magic. Like, I, you don't have to do that. If you feel called, of course you can. 
but I really just want to destigmatize this word so that you can fully unlock your potential when it comes to your spirituality. To not be afraid to explore your shadows, to do rituals that you feel called to do, to explore the ancient practices that you feel called to and really just embody this wise person within and craft your wisdom. Whether that's through rituals, intention setting, manifestation, whatever you want to call it, or by embodying this wisdom in your daily life. It's important to note that everything is witchcraft. Like I said, it is just crafting your wisdom. How are you exploring and embodying your wisdom? You can do it physically with your hands. You can hold a cup of tea in the morning and say an affirmation within it um, and envision that affirmation going throughout your body as you drink it. That's witchcraft. You could make a spell jar. That's witchcraft. I love doing spell jars where you're basically just taking the time to give meaning to certain elements and holding the intention of whatever it is that you want to manifest. So say you want to manifest more abundance, right? So you're going to take different elements that have meaning to you that represent abundance. It can be different herbs that you feel connected to in a way that might make you embody and feel the abundance frequency. And as you're putting it in the jar, you just hold the intention of this is planting a seed for my abundance. You know, it's just intention, holding an intention. And it can be a vision board. That's witchcraft. It can be, it's it's everywhere. But don't hold yourself back for the fear of being seen as a witch. Embrace it and know how good it feels to be reawakening that ancient lineage within yourself. That was taken from so many people. And to me, it feels like when I finally had this realization of what the word witch meant and how I wanted to explore more pagan elements and, you know, deepen my connection to nature and learn about herbalism. And I could hear my ancestors cheering me on when I allowed myself to reclaim that lineage. So whether you descend from Europe or not. Remember, this was millions of people. This happened to you somewhere in your bloodline, and it is within the collective consciousness of earth. It lives within all of our DNA. You are connected to this, and in your own lineage, I guarantee there has been some sort of witch hunt as well. I mean, look at the Holocaust. That lives in our DNA too. That is a modern day event. I wasn't that long ago. That was a witch hunt in itself. So the first step to healing this witch wound is contemplation. Seeing where it shows itself in your life and really becoming aware of it as you go about your daily life. Seeing what you're holding back from. Are you not sharing with other people what you're reading or exploring because of this fear? Maybe take a step outside of the box and share it. Push yourself a little bit. You don't just have to accept the trauma and wounding that has happened in your bloodlines over thousands of years. You can choose to be the one who stands up and honors your authentic self. You don't have to conform to this story that you've been told by society. You can be and honor your authentic self and truly begin to embody your highest self in this lifetime. I'm going to say it again. I'm trying to desensitize you. The original word witch 
means a wise one, a knower. And a Buddha is also a knower and enlightened one. So how can you honor this part of yourself and embody the wise one? I really recommend getting a journal to dedicate to this podcast because each episode, I would love for you to journal and answer some questions in order for you to be able to spend the next week contemplating and integrating and embodying the theme of that episode. That's the whole point of the podcast, right? So for this week, think about and write down your answers to these questions. I would actually even love if you wrote it in the Facebook group. So if you're listening to this right now, Answer these questions and post them in the Embodiment Community Facebook group. Where do you see the witch wound showing up for yourself in your life? What fears or stories are running through your mind that prevent you from living your most authentic self? And how can you start to reclaim the side of yourself that you are repressing? As you journal these answers, spend the rest of the week really bringing your awareness to this and just contemplating it. Every day, feel in your bones like, what am I doing to really step outside of this wound? What am I doing to push myself out of my comfort zone just a little bit to break the stigma around it and become and embody the wise one? And I want you to, every single day this week, answer this question. How can I confidently embody the wisdom that lives within me today? Every morning, answer that question. All right, so I hope you enjoyed this episode and learned some things and gained some golden nuggets and learned where this fear of the word witch really comes from. Again, I just thought this was the perfect episode to really start and kick off this podcast so that we can move forward exploring our inner magic and rediscovering the magic and the beauty that lives within every single cell and speckle of this world and universe. So with gratitude, I'll see you next week for another episode. 